Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Hagens, and as always, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk Hawks with you. So guys, we have got a very exciting episode today. If you're listening on our general audio podcast, today is the first day we're going our ever first YouTube live stream. And it is super exciting because we've got a ton of breakdown. And as we approach this draft process, I just felt like there were too many draft prospects, so much information from the combine measurements to the size measurements to their statistics, their strengths and weaknesses, so much information, guys, that I just couldn't give you all of that over audio without having sort of any visual aid. So this is especially for you guys. I really hope you'll enjoy. We have a lot to get into on today. So we'll be beginning today our series, I like the call, with the blank pick. And essentially the concept is just that for the Seattle Seahawks, we're going to go through each and every one of their picks, starting with today, the number five pick. And we're going to go through my favorite picks, some of the draft picks that I think will be best for the Seattle Seahawks and why. We're going to go over some even unexpected picks, because if you know anything about the Seattle Seahawks, you know, when it comes to draft time, Pete Carroll and John Snyder always do the unexpected. And so we'll get into what those scenarios could potentially look like. We'll get into some of the popular picks, right? What are the things that people are most often saying the Seattle Seahawks are going to do? And what do I think about them? And also, we'll go over some of the things that I don't like. So we'll cover it all here on Seahawks 360, as we always try to do. If you're not a Seahawks fan, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. It can't mean enough to us. And I think that you guys will still get a ton out of today's episode because we Seahawks can't get all the draft picks, right? That we can't get everybody that I'm going to go over today. It's just not realistic. And so it's still a great opportunity for you guys to learn about some of the prospects that may potentially be on your team and have an informed opinion with if these players are called when your team is up, when it's, t- when it's time for your team to pick. So there is a really exciting show today. We got a lot to get into, guys. So let's get into it and talk some Hawks. So. As I said, we're starting our series, and today we're going to start with the fifth pick. And I don't know how much of you guys listening have background. Like I said, some people listening may not be Seattle Seahawks fans, but you're interested in the draft and draft process. That's fine. So let me explain how the Seattle Seahawks managed to go to the playoffs last year, but still get the fifth pick. Well, it all started with a generational (laughs) trade in when the Seattle Seahawks last summer decided to trade Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos and it lit the NFL world up on fire. Most people expected the Seattle Seahawks to tank. Uh, They thought that they would be one of the worst teams in the NFL and they expected that the Denver Broncos would go on to be Super Bowl contenders and uh, you know even 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 in a tough AFC conference they were still uh, rated as one of the best teams in in their conference high expectations especially in Denver if you ask Denver fans my husband is one they will tell you they fully expected to win a Super Bowl or to at least be in contention for one and it did not go that way at all Russell Wilson had a terrible year and he ended up being one of the worst quarterbacks in the league and I kid you not you don't get the fifth pick by having one of the best quarterbacks in the league he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league and the Seahawks looked like they traded him at the exact right time and so now in addition to Drew Locke and Shelby Harris and uh, Noah Fant and all these other assets they got all these other uh, they were able to draft Charles Cross uh, left tackle last year they were able to get so many draft picks 
last year that they really used as a strong foundation to put them into playoff position last year in what was supposed to be a rebuild year. And so now the Seattle Seahawks are in the extremely unique position to be able to draft the first pick, courtesy of the Denver Broncos, and still be able to be in playoff contention and know that they're still in win-now mode. So really, this fifth pick is franchise-breaking. It can really change the trajectory of what this franchise looks like five years from now, 10 years from now. So this is a really important pick. So we're going to spend the whole episode on this pick. I'm not always going to do one pick per episode, but just because the fifth pick is so monumental, guys, it can be so life-changing for this franchise. It's got to give be given its focus. And this is a particularly interesting draft, in my opinion. It's one that is not really top-heavy. It's not a lot of heavyweights, but there's a lot of great depth. So we'll have more time to go into some of that great depth as we get into those later rounds. But for the time being, we'll spend a lot, of, a lot more time on each prospect than I will as we continue through this series. So what I'll do, like I said, I told you guys I got some visual aids for you. So we'll talk about the prospects. I want to start off, though, with our popular picks, right? Because there's been so much talk about what the Seahawks are going to do. Seahawks have never really been involved in the draft talk as often as they are now because they're just in one of the most interesting positions in the draft, I feel. Um, There are, to start the draft, there are really four top quarterback teams, but the Seahawks have re-signed Geno Smith. So it's gotten this interesting question around, are the Seahawks even in the quarterback market anymore? Is this an opportunity for them to gra- draft a quarterback for the future? Because quarterbacks don't grow on trees. So that's very much so a huge question amongst the league. That's one direction they could go. But they also had a terrible defense last year. They de- The defense really struggled, and specifically the defensive line. Their one defense was one of the worst in the league, and it was a tough watch. Take it from me. And so the, they're really in a position where they need to increase the defensive line. But the two top non-quarterback prospects, one will likely be off of the board because their division rival, the Arizona Cardinals, are picking at pick number three. And they, too, have lost valuable pieces on the defensive line. They're really in a position where they kind of need to rebuild around Kyler Murray, who's coming off, who is right now uh, rehabbing a torn ACL and probably won't be able to play through most of the year. Uh, but they, they lost J.J. White, who just retired. They lost some key pieces, and they really need a defensive lineman as well. Now, they could go in a different direction because they have, to be, in my, to be honest, just a lot more holes than the Seattle Seahawks do. So, yes, they could go in a different direction, but I'm not – we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, they're more than likely going to take the top non-quarterback prospect, um, and that leaves what was considered to be the – second best quarterback non-quarterback prospect in Jalen Carter, who's had a lot of issues and we'll talk about him soon. But it's really this interesting place where the Seattle Seahawks are really this wild card at number five. And there's so many different scenarios. But let's start off with Anthony Richardson. Uh, Anthony Richardson is considered one of the most popular quarterback prospects uh, or, or really not. He's, a, he's not the most popular. He's the most explosive. So this is a guy who it doesn't have much experience starting. He only played really 13, I think 13 starts is what he did in his time in Florida. He is probably the most inexperienced quarterback. Um, in some time, really, there are not a lot of quarterbacks that are going to go this high or be ranked this high in terms of being like a top five pick. But because of his explosiveness and just the athlete that he is, 
he has exploded on the scene, especially in his first game. He looked absolutely unstoppable. Now, as the season went on, you begin to see a lot more of his flaws. So sort of let's go through and, and let's talk about this guy in depth. He is 6'4", 244 pounds. Uh, he's on, he got arms of, of 32 inches, 32 and three and three fourths, as you guys can see. He's got big hands at 10 inches. He's just an athlete. And he's got the speed to match. As you can see, he went a 4-4-4, four, 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 a 4-4-3, four, four, guys, at 244 pounds. That is absolutely elite. At his size, it's DK Metcalf is, but at the quarterback position. And that, as you know, can be absolutely legal. He is considered a freak athlete to the finest. He is still super young. He's 21 years old. He's got a lot to learn, not only just because he's so young, but just because you know, he doesn't have the experience that all these other quarterbacks have. He really only had his time in Florida, and he was really up and down in that performance. Now, as you can see, when you look at his stats, you can see 17 touchdowns, nine interceptions, not impressive, especially when you look at his accuracy, only 53% completion rate, not great. He really does struggle with accuracy, but a lot of people in the scouts, and if you look at his tape, you can really see that it's not that the guy is just an inaccurate quarterback. He's just not consistent with his mechanics. And a lot of that has to do with not consistently starting. He just struggles sometimes with, with his footwork and the footwork leads to poor mechanics. And that makes the ball not able to go exactly where he wants it. Um, he still needs to learn things like layering his throws and things like that, where he doesn't always have to throw a bullet pass if it's a short, uh, a short intermediate route. Like he can, he can add some touch, like adding touch to his throw. So a lot of things that he can learn, um, and, and and really be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think he is the, he's the quarterback with the highest ceiling. So if, if you're not familiar with the draft prospects, the top quarterback widely considered is Bryce Young, who may or may not go number one overall because the Panthers have now moved up. They've taken the number one pick. They might go for a guy such as C.J. Stroud, who played for, for Ohio, and that guy was a little bit more – let me go back to you. You can actually see me here, here, here as we talk. But so the CJ Stroud is considered, some people consider him the better quarterback because he's got more size. Uh, Bryce Young is got the most talent or has proven the most, I think, in, in, in being diverse. He can throw on the move. He's shown more of what he can do, I believe, than CJ Stroud has. But his size is very concerning. Yes, he's he'll come in as one of the smallest quarterbacks in the league, if not the smallest. In fact, I believe he would be the smallest because the smallest right now is Kyler Murray, who's rehabbing a torn ACL. Not great, <laughs> not great if you're if you're looking at it from that perspective. Um, but you know, Kyler Murray is a guy who's been injured. He's been able to play through those injuries. But Bryce Young is, I'd say, and he weighed in at two hundred four. He's not going to play at two hundred four pounds. He. he He's not going to play. He's not. That's not his playing weight. His playing weight, I believe, is barely, you know, maybe 190-ish, somewhere in that range. That's less than Kyler Murray weighs. And so you just – that's one of the biggest question marks with Bryce Young. Pretty much the only question mark with Bryce Young. As a result, he's going to go um, either number one or two, depending on what the Panthers prefer to do at this point. He is considered the best quarterback, though. Then you got – uh, the, him and C.J. Stroud are your two top-tier quarterbacks, can't-miss-type quarterback prospects. You got more project guys like a Will Levis, who has a lot of NFL tools, who has played in the NFL system, but he struggles with accuracy as well in decision-making. Now, a lot of people, including myself, 
give him a little bit of credit because he did not have a lot of tools and weapons to work with. He really had a terrible offensive line and he didn't really have a lot of, you know, wide receivers. He just didn't have the weapons. It was an NFL scheme, but, you know, tough conference, not enough weapons, not enough talent around him for him to really shine the way that a CJ Strout had or the way that a, a Bryce Young had. He wasn't able to get that, so he had to make the most out of what he had. I think he developed some bad habits that need to be kind of undone when he gets to the NFL, but he can start for you. He's not going to be great starting for you. You you expect some rough patches if you're going to put him in day one, but he's a guy that can get you there. And then we go back to Anthony Richardson, who I'm telling you about, you know, before, and he's the guy who, you know, he's got the highest ceiling. He can be a superstar in this league. He's got, he's a Cam Newton type of pump, right? Because he's just so explosive. Look at that vertical, 40 inch vertical, uh, almost 11 inch uh, broad jump. The guy's just incredible. He's a dual athlete, right? So he's going to do more for you than just pass, right? In fact, he's more explosive as a runner at this point than he is as a passer. Now he has the arm strength. He can do whatever you want on the football field. So he's not limited by arm strength. He's widely considered a Lamar Jackson type of elite runner with a better arm. So his upside is even higher than even a Lamar Jackson was, and that's an MVP uh, player in this league. He's got good pocket awareness, so he knows when to step him in the pocket versus run. He does have good awareness with that. You can see as he began to start more games that he began to get more confidence. He began to fix some of the issues with his mechanics, become a little bit more consistent, and was not as turnover prone in those last six games as he was when he first started. Um, and, and really, when he gets those mechanics down, you can see the accuracy. You can see uh, he's got a real tight spiral. Spiral. He's got a quick release. Um, he can really process the field not extremely well. He's still trying to learn how to – I think he can read coverage as well, but he doesn't understand pre-snap reads or, or recognize them. He's not had enough experience to do that. Um he can make his first or second read. Sometimes he struggles when he gets to his third and fourth read, I think, sometimes, depending on what the defense is showing him. But he has shown the ability to be able to process and go through reads. It's just been inconsistent, right? I've seen flashes of him saying that he he, he played that well in others where he completely, uh, he completely did not. Like he didn't process anything well or he took off when he shouldn't have taken off running, that kind of thing. So, uh, but then, like I said, He's a he's a he's a guy with weaknesses. Uh, he's got accurate issue, issues due to that poor it says poor, poor footwork. Um, he's got he's, he needs to work on his timing. I think sometimes he takes too long to look go through his progressions. Uh, sometimes he can tend to throw into danger. He's got confidence. He's a guy who's highly confident. He can throw sometimes into the wrong uh, area. Just just force a throw that shouldn't really be there. Again, I talked about this before, but uh, pre snap recognition. Um, and then layering of the throws will go a long way with him. In fact, I think you'd see a huge increase in his accuracy if he just learned that every pass does not have to be a bullet pass, right? Every pass doesn't have to be um, 100 miles per hour. If he can learn how to do that, that'll go a long way to improving his accuracy along with his footwork. So the stuff that he has an issue with, they're very coachable things, and that's what makes him worth the overall fit, fifth pick. But he's not a pick that I like for the Seattle Seahawks. He's not because he's he's a project, and I love his upside. If the Seahawks pick him, I'm not going to be angry. But the Seahawks just signed Geno to a three-year deal, and while they can get out of it at any time, 
that to me that signifies they're in a go for it now. They're in a win mode now. They were just in the playoffs last year. So why they should all of a sudden decide we don't need the playoffs. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to try to focus on the future. I mean, I get it. But here's the thing. And I know a lot of people like this pick because it would kill two birds in one stone. You'd have your franchise guy for now to, to play while oh, Anthony Richardson learns the game, learns the system, learns the NFL, et cetera, right? But one, there's only so much you're going to learn without true reps, right? So that learning has to be done just through experience. And you can do it all day in practice, but it's not the same. So... There's that caveat people always say and I always feel like that's never said, right? Keeping in mind, there's no substitute for live reps. And he's not going to theoretically get those for a year or two. I feel that they're not going to, they're not going to release Gino for at least two years. Yes, there's an out, but they love Gino. And even more so, they love that Gino bet on himself, the way he structured his contract. It's incentivative. It, it doesn't, it, it actually took an extremely low cap, hit only $10 million in year one. And he really made it team friendly. I think the Seahawks, knowing their culture, they're going to reward him and at least keep him around for two years. So the guy's not going to get any meaningful reps for two years. And I just don't know how well that's going to work. Another thing that people forget to consider when they're talking about the, how uh, how uh, Anthony Richardson should be the pick for Seattle. Well, again, if he's not playing for the next two, three years, is Pete Carroll even going to be playing? I mean, his contract will be up in 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John Snyder's contract ends in 2026. So, yeah, these guys are thinking about the future. But Pete Carroll especially cares a lot more about the now. He cares a lot more about what they do now and winning now than he does what happens five years from now. And so I, I'm not sure how much sense that makes for them to take their biggest asset they've ever had. They've never had a pick this high. In, their, in, in the Pete Carroll, John Snyder era, they have not had the number five pick. The best they've had is number 15, with which they took Bruce Irvin. That's not something they've ever had. So they'll take their one opportunity to put it on a player that may not even be able to help them in the next two to three years? Uh, maybe, but I'm not buying it. I just, it's a popular pick. Again, I'm not mad at it because I understand the logic, but it would just surprise me because it's them kind of punting on their future. There's a question even about the Seahawks ownership. Like there may be a change of ownership in the next two to three years. I just, there's so many things that I just would be surprised if I saw them make this pick because it's a really, it's a long-term in a situation where they can't necessarily afford to focus as much on the long-term given their success and given just what their job status is right now and the and the potential flux and ownership that may be happening here soon in the near future. So um, that's my take on Anthony Richardson. Another popular pick, though, is Jalen Carter. And a lot to get into with Jalen Carter, ton to get into with that guy. Um, so, so, so let's do it. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Anthony Richardson, but Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter... Again, I, I talked about this earlier in the podcast, but he was, even before the playoffs, Dylan Carter was considered the best non-prospect prospect in the draft. Now, it was a little bit debatable between Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, but he was the guy. A lot of people said that he was a dominant force, that you couldn't duplicate what he provides on the field. His talent was absolutely immense, and I don't disagree with any of that. Um, he is 
an extremely dominant defensive tackle. He's only 21 years old. He's, he was Georgia's best. A lot of people say, feel like he was Georgia's best defensive lineman last year. Um, but at that time, he, a lot of other people, first draft pick, Jordan Davis, et cetera, came out of Georgia, got picked early. And most people still felt like Jalen Carter was really the star. He's got excellent arm length, as you can see. He's got uh, big hands, great size, elite size. Uh, then now the production was not really there for him. Uh, a little bit of context, if you're going to look at this, you're going to say three sacks. That's not really a lot. Now, one, look at the, look at the 31 quarterback. His, that is elite. Um, he didn't have a lot of pass breakups, not a ton of tackles for losses. One thing to keep in mind with Georgia is they rotate their guys a lot, a, a whole lot. <laughs> they are always rotating their defensive linemen, and so – uh, the opportunity for production is not going to be there as much as it will against other, you know, if you look at other schools and they're in comparing their production, like even to a Will Anderson. Now, I still think Jalen Carter could have been a little bit more productive. And I think some of that comes into some of the weaknesses I see in him. But overall, as a prospect, I don't think you can get much better than what he offers on the field. He is super elite. He is super agile. Excellent change of directions. His ability to shed blocks is great. It, it, you really can't see him. Like, he draws double teams because he's not a guy you can just single block and get away with it. He punishes you anytime you're going to single block him. And so the rest, he, he's a guy that is a multiplier. And the Seahawks in particular have not had a multiplier in a long time. And when I say multiplier, I mean this. A guy who, when you put him on the defensive line, is going to cause so much tension, double teams, et cetera, that it gets other guys open, that it makes other guys better, like a Draymond Jones, like a uh, a, a Daryl Taylor or Nuosu. You should have Nuosu. He's our defensive end if you don't follow the team. Um, guys like that are, will be better because they'll have single block opportunities. Last year, the best player on the defensive line was you Nuosu. He was a guy getting the production. More consistently, he was a guy more consistently getting pass rush, and he was good in the run as well. So he was the best player. And at some point, he began to be double teamed, and other guys weren't able to take advantage of that. What the Seahawks have done in free agency is upgrade some of their – they've gotten a free agent in Draymond Jones, who used to be a Broncos player last year. He was considered the second-best defensive player in the market outside of Javon Hargrave, who is older, costed, cost more. So I think the Seahawks did very well inside of Dray- the Draymond Jones, the younger guy with more upside, less money. And th- th- what they're going to do is that with, by them making moves already, if they were to draft a Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter and the attention he would eventually begin to, to get in the league, that would free up a Draymond Jones, a Uchina Nuosu, and the entire defensive line can eat and be way more productive. That's huge. And, that, and there's really not you – can't, you can't put that on the scouting sheet per se, but when you think about projecting it to the NFL, if he can take what he did in college and apply it on the NFL field, it does wonders and completely changes the trajectory of an entire defense for that reason. He's very good in run defense. Um, He has ex- extreme uh, power. Like, this guy, even when he has – he has a pretty good pass rush plan, uh, but – a lot of times, he doesn't know how to finish those pass rush moves. He knows how to start them quite, but not really finish them the way he needs to. But what he ultimately ends up doing, if you look at the film, is just, let's say his spin move or swim move doesn't work. The rip move doesn't work. So he's just going to bull power, bull rush his way into the lap of the quarterback. And it works every time. So even when he doesn't 
the moves don't go his way, he's still going to be able to impact the play to affect the quarterback, to get the quarterback, if nothing else, to move off of their spot because he, he uses his power to win. And there are not many players you can say that about. For most, most players, when their pass rush plus plan, when their pass rush plan does not work, that's it. Um, he's a guy that is already familiar with twists and stunts. Georgia used him in those a lot. That translates to the NFL, and that's another reason why he's a day one starter. He's well-rounded enough. He can do all that you ask physically from a physical perspective. But the reason why Jalen Carter is controversial, he was considered like the number one player in the draft, guys. And now the Seahawks are almost certainly going to have an opportunity to take him at five. The reason it's controversial is because he's had a lot of issues surrounding himself. I've never seen a player drop their stock quite so quickly as Jalen Carter. And the day of the NFL combine is really – well, let me start. I'll go back. If you're not familiar with Jalen Carter, Carter and all of the issues that have been happening with him, Todd Mache had a report that was out um, during, the, during the college season, actually, and it was something along the lines of that Jalen Carter had character issues, right, that it, it, he was – he didn't quite he didn't quite get in detail on, um, you know, that he was a troublemaker or anything, but just that maybe kind of hinting at work ethic, conditioning a little bit. But he didn't really have a lot of proof. He couldn't reveal any sources. He didn't have any concrete information. So a lot of people paying Todd Mache. A lot of people just said, you know, this guy's just trying to, you know, hurt a player's stock. You know, not don't do that. He was he was criticized widely because there was no evidence. It was unfounded, right? People brushed it off and kept moving. But it, it came out on the NFL Combine. And the timing was terrible for Jalen. I guess I'll give him that. But on the day of the NFL Combine, an arrest warrant was put out for Jalen Carter for an incident involving um, an accident where two of his teammates, or staff and teammates, they lost their lives. Uh, they were racing. Jalen Carter was involved. Uh, there was a question about if he was involved with alcohol and drugs or not. It was later found that he he was not under the influence, but he was racing. Um, he ended up having to leave the combine to go back to Georgia, turn himself in, work out those issues. Those is, those were mister misdemeanors. They weren't ever like big felony charges. Just racing. Um, at first, there was a question about if he had left the scene of the crime before police told him. It was later revealed that that was not the case. He did not leave until he was told by the Georgia police, the Athens police, that he could leave, which was good, um, at least. And he was able to get things worked out where he pled no contest, which is different from not guilty. He pled no contest. Um, he ultimately was given community service. He'll be on probation for a year, et cetera. Um, so that's now resolved. But it was not a good look for him on combine day to have all of that happen, really. I mean, he didn't mention a lot. The word was he did not mention any of this possibility to the few teams he had met with leading up to his uh, to the information about his arrest coming out. So it made it seem like he was hiding things. It just it was just not a good look. And I think people, especially given the misdemeanor, especially given that, you know, he ultimately didn't. Um, leave the scene early. I think people could have overlooked that. There would have been concerns about maturity, most certainly. But people would have overlooked that. I, I think there's still be a question about if, this, if the Arizona Cardinals would have taken Jalen Carter or Will Anderson if 
He was just the legal concerns. But then Jalen Carter has his Georgia Pro Day and he works out and he comes in nine pounds heavier than he was at the combine just two weeks earlier, guys. Just two weeks earlier. And 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 that's 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 not good to gain nine pounds in two weeks, knowing that this pro day is the equivalent of one of the biggest interviews you'll ever have in your life. It was extremely disappointing um, for a lot of people to even see just that, right? That is a huge red flag in and of itself. You're not conditioning. You're not working out. You're not taking the pro day as seriously as you should, especially given you've already gotten so many question uh, red flags, question marks and red flags around you. Well, he decided to still do do some of the drills. He could. He started doing the professional, the uh, positional drills. He did not do any of the combine testing, like he didn't do the forty yard dash, the yard dash, anything like that. I, I don't necessarily knock him for that, but now <laughs> watching him do the positional drills, I better understood why he did not do the combine uh, testing. And that's it was bad, guys. I mean, you can find it on the internet if you want, but he looked slow. He was out of breath. He couldn't even finish doing the positional drills because he was cramping. He was breathing heavy. He was drinking water. He ended up taking off his shirt. You could just tell it was weighing on him. Um, it just, the, the conditioning was an obvious problem. Now, I will give the caveat that he's obviously been through a lot, this young man, in the past couple of weeks, especially. I understand how that could take a toll on your mental health. Uh, but if that's the case, don't do the drills. Like the nine pounds heavier would have been a red flag. The issues he's already had before would have been a red flag, but he would have been able to move forward. But it's just those three things on top of each other makes it really questionable. And and I got to be honest. Uh, I got to be honest, guys. If it was up to me, I'm not sure I would take Jalen Carter. I was excited about Jalen Carter as a prospect for the Seattle Seahawks team for a long time. I was big on him. If we could get, if we could have gotten him, it would have been heaven because he is exactly what the Seahawks need on paper. But my concern, my main concern came in during the pro day. And I'm concerned that he's no longer even on the Seahawks board for this reason. As talented as he is, potentially a generational talent, as talented as he is, Pete Carroll is a guy who on principle is a, Show up and compete guy, right? He is, everything is about competition. And he's not the kind of guy who's going to help you be competitive. He's going to, he's going to take the competitiveness you already have. And he's going to maximize that to help you get the best out of yourself. That's how he coaches. That's his, that's his coaching style. He needs guys to have an innate competitiveness in them because he uses that to help motivate his players. If you don't have that competitiveness within you, and Pete Carroll says it all the time, you're either competing or you're not. And that, that his pro day performance was not competing. It was the opposite of competing. Um, so it was really sad to see uh, that happen to him, have him have that embarrassing of a pro day. We really could have helped his draft stock and I think solidified him as a pick if he would have been able to at least do well in those positional drills. I mean, even if you gained the weight, but you did the positional drills pretty good, we can overlook that. They overlook a lot of things where talent is, is talented, as Jalen Carter is. My personal concern is not only about the, the conditional aspects, which are real, but I think you can fix those. To me, if you're not willing to put in the work unless you have to put in the work, there's been rumors now that he's not really a good practice guy. 
he's not really a guy who, uh, you know, they kind of had to be on him about that kind of thing, about his work ethic, you know, the maturity, the decision-making, things like that. They just weren't there. And for me, if you're not a guy that's going to put in work to be conditioned, I become nobody. Nobody said this. I haven't heard this before. But I think what people miss in terms of why I'm most concerned potentially about taking Jalen Carter is that leads to injuries. Yeah, you can come in and not play. You can come in. If you're going to play in the NFL, you got to play your hardest. If you're going to play in the NFL, you're going to be great or even good for that matter. You have got to be conditioned, be in shape. You can't just hop out on the NFL field. You get hurt. And so then the number five pick, we just spent all his time injured because he's not doing what he needs to do in order to stay on the field. I see this very much so. My biggest concern is that he's more of a Zion Williamson of the NFL, an elite talent, guy who when he gets, when he gets on the field is dominant, but can't stay on the field because he's not conditioned. He's not healthy. That's my biggest concern. He, people aren't talking about that because he hasn't had a history of injuries, and that's fine. But what you did in college isn't necessarily projected in the NFL. And what I know about the NFL is you got to come, you got to come hard, and you got to come with your best, and you must be in shape. Or these guys, you'll tweak something, hamstring. I mean, there'll always be something, right, if you're not doing what you need to do on a regular basis. If you're not internally motivated to be in the best shape, to go out there and give your best. If he can stay in shape, if he can do the conditioning, he'll be excellent on a football field. I have no concerns about that. I really don't. Um, he's as big of a sure thing as you can get, I think. I mean, his his floor is a quality starter. That's the floor for him. Seriously. I mean, his floor is he never reaches a Pro Bowl, but he's a solid starter for you um, who helps, you know, helps the pass rush, helps on run defense. He goes unnoticed in the NFL. Maybe he's not a star, but he's good. That's his floor. That's huge. And Seahawks could just take that, honestly. They could just take that at that point. His ceiling is Warren Sapp, if you ask me. I mean, that's that's really his ceiling. He's the kind of guy. Now, I feel a little bit, a, a couple of reasons why I'm more on board with this pick. It's a popular pick, but also, despite my concerns, I'm on back and forth with this in my head, but despite my concerns, I think I'm okay with taking Jalen Carter if the Seahawks have done the work. If they've looked into his background, if they found that they feel like they can get this guy motivated, they've talked with him, they've interviewed with him, they like what they hear, they feel like he's a good kid and he just needs direction, I'm on board. You're not going to hear me be pissed if they draft him and Carter. In fact, I'm probably excited because I'm gonna, I'm just going to trust that the Seahawks are going to make sure it's not a Malik McDowell situation and they draft somebody who never plays for them or is a complete bust. Now, McDowell... Malik McDowell, if you don't know, if you don't follow the Seahawks, was a second-round pick for the Seahawks, and he never played a snap for the Seahawks. He got in an ATV accident, being stupid, dumb, and, and it just caused him, you know, never to play a game. What you risk in this case with Jalen Carter is, you know, he's on probation still, so if he does something stupid and mature again, then he might we might be talking about jail time. You know, with him being on probation, if he violates his probation, um, you know, it's a tricky situation to navigate, most certainly. See, I feel confident about it. I feel confident about it. And I feel better, too, because the Seahawks signed Hall of Famer, Bobby Wagner. He is back on the defense. 
And that's the kind of guy you would absolutely need on your defense. If you're going to get a, a player like a Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter needs to understand what it looks like to be a pro. And there's no better example of what it looks like to be a true professional in the NFL than Bobby Wagner. So with that being said, I'm back on board with the pick. Yes, it's a popular pick, but also it's one of my pick. It's not my first pick, but it kind of is. <laughs> I don't know. I still go back and forth with with uh, I got two guys that I feel like are the best picks for Seattle. It's Jalen Carter and it's Tyree Wilson. And so with that, let's talk a little bit more about Tyree Wilson because he's gone a little bit unnoticed um, under the radar. And I think he can add just as much to uh, the Seahawks team as maybe not Jalen Carter, but I think he is really close. So uh, Tyree Wilson, absolutely in love with this guy. He is 6'6", 271 pounds, um, super long arms, 35 inches. Uh, he's 23. He's an edge prospect, and the Seahawks still need that. He would probably be a defensive end, kind of a 3-4 prospect. You know, he wouldn't be a nose tackle, but he'd still be on the interior line and be able to rush from inside. I believe he'd be able to do that pretty well. In his 2000 season, you can see he got seven sacks. Now, quarterback hits 14 tackles for loss, 61 tackles, big. Good, good production out of Texas Tech for him. Um, as you can see, he's got elite size. That's without question. He's great at block shedding, which is really important. So you'll see me mention the block shedding. That's huge for me if, if, a, if a player can, can block shed because that was a huge problem, especially uh, on our D-line and linebacker, the front seven. They just get stuck on blocks. And then just the offensive way to do, opposing offensive way to do whatever it wanted to do. But he's got an explosive first step. He's an excellent tackle tackler. He does have good agility. It's not great agility, but it's good. And what I love most about Tyree Wilson is he can be placed all over the line. Right? So he can play on the inside. He can rush out on the edge for you. He's not a great guy to drop in coverage, but he can still, you know, do that if you need him to do that. Um, he's too small to play nose, but he just gives you a lot of options with where you can place him and what he can do. Um, a lot of versatility, and the Seahawks are looking for that, as much versatility as they can get. Now, he does like some of the bend. That's the reason why he can't solely be an edge. I don't think I think he's better maybe in the interior, bulking him up just a little bit, maybe get him to like 280, 285, something like that. He's got the frame to be able to hold the weight, so I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, I know he'll be able to have on that weight, but he's got some – he lacks some bend. He does have bend, but it's just not an elite bend. It's not a, a Von Miller anywhere near like that where he can just, you know – pin his ears back and just get to the guy. He can get a little stiff sometimes. Like he, you can see his movements aren't that stiff. His pro day is going to be really big for him in terms of his stock, whether he'll stay a number, you know, stay in this range. He might even drop depending on if he doesn't show that he has that short area quickness or he doesn't show like really good bend. That'll be important. Uh, he could use some improvement with his hand uses. He's pretty good with it, but in terms of counters, when you get him, you know, after his first, you know, initial hands, it can be pretty violent with pretty violent hands, but he, if if a guy is more technically savvy, he can kind of get stuck. He doesn't have any counters. Sometimes because he's so tall, he gets in a plate of right. Um, and his main thing is just needing to learn how to time snaps. Sometimes he can mistime those. Those are very coachable things. Um, he's not very good in zone, as I mentioned that. But all the other things I'm not really worried about. His weaknesses are extremely coachable. The only thing, the only question mark about Tyree Wilson that's not coachable is the bend. Right, like his stiffness. I don't know if you overcome that, but he's so fast and powerful that I just 
you know, I kind of don't care. Um, so I, Tyree has a great character, though. Excellent character guy. And so if they went with Tyree Wilson over Jalen Carter, I completely understand. I have no questions about it. Jalen Carter is more the type of player that we need. But if, if you don't feel like the guy's going to be able to play for you or, or because you think he'll be injured or because you think he'll be in trouble all the time, if think, you know, I, I don't think that you should draft him. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, so I'm good. Those are my top two picks. Tyree Wilson, Jalen Carter. Let's get into the uh, let's get into the unexpected picks, right? The picks that I think that they're not likely to happen, but could happen, right? Within the realm of possibility. The first unexpected pick is Will Anderson. Candace, why is Will Anderson an unexpected pick? I talked about this before. The Arizona Cardinals need defense. They need particularly defensive linemen. They, too, are short on defensive linemen. J.J. Watt just, just retired. They just got a new GM. They just got a new coach. Their Kyler's out. They need something to keep the fans engaged. Will Anderson would do that for you. He's a name that people know, people are excited about. He's got excellent character. Um, he's got more production than a Jalen Carter. Uh, he's done it, you know, well, well, he's not done it for longer, but He's just a guy you don't question if he loves football. You don't question his competitiveness. Um, and he's got everything. He's got so much that you're looking for. He would get the fan base excited. And most importantly, take all of that off the table, right? If you're the Arizona Cardinals, some people suspect that because the Arizona Cardinals have so many holes, they may trade down. And that's possible. But that they may trade down to get more picks, to get more players. It's not off the table. But I'm going to tell you why I feel it's unexpected. If you trade down, you're gift wrapping Will Anderson to your division rival. So if it wasn't the Seahawks that would be the following non-quarterback pick, quote unquote, then yeah, I would agree with folks. They could trade down, get more picks. But I'm not sure that Arizona wants to play Will Anderson twice a year. I'm just not sure they want to take that risk of having a potential you know, generational talent that they got to go against twice a year. Yeah, they got more picks, more equipped to do it, but they don't have that level of talent. They miss out on that. They passed. And then they'd have to be stuck with it. So it's also because of the whole new GM thing. Most guys want to make a splash. They want to come in and, and, and start strong. And I'm not sure uh, Luke Van Ness type of player, uh, I'm not sure a Nolan Smith necessarily is going to give you that same splash as he would if you drafted a Will Anderson. So uh, not going to spend a ton of time on him. You guys can see, you know, great edge, great production. He's super young uh, and really only a few weaknesses. There's so much to his game uh, that he does so well. Um, he didn't run a great 40 time. You know, you'd love to see more, but it, it's fine. It's good enough. Like, again, it's one of those things where if you're, you got that kind of talent on film, People will look over the combine and they call it a glorified Olympics for a reason. Girls glorified underwear Olympics for a reason. And so that be that that's something that's easy to overlook. But I don't expect the Seattle Seahawks to be able to get access to Will Anderson. Now, let me be clear. Let me be very clear. If by some reason the Arizona Cardinals are stupid enough. And they have to be stupid. If they are stupid enough 
to pass on Will Anderson and say they're going to get more draft picks and pass on that guy, the Seattle Seahawks should absolutely run, run to Adam Silver. Don't waste any time. Write down that pick, and they should select Will Anderson. He would be my top choice. Of all the options, he would be my top choice right now over a Tyree Wilson, over Daylon Carter, if I genuinely felt he'd be available. I don't. I do not think he'll be available. So that's why I'm putting him in the unexpected. But, you know, um, you never know. Cardinals have been known to do some stupid things in franchise history. So maybe they'll do us a favor and pass on Will Anderson. All right. Next prospect. Next unexpected prospect is Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. Now, some people like uh, Devin Witherspoon more as a quarterback. I don't like him as much for the Seahawks. I think I like the athleticism and the the size of a Christian Gonzalez a little bit more than a Witherspoon, especially for the Seahawks, knowing that they've they've got Tariq Woolen, who's already an athletic monster on the other side. Kobe Bryant, who's a little undersized, playing at nickel, maybe either him or Julian Love. But you, you really want to get big and athletic at that position. I think it will complement uh, Tariq Woolen really well. The reason why I say this is unexpected, some people will say, why is this unexpected? Especially if you don't know much about the Seahawks, right? You'd say you need a corner opposite of Tariq Woolen anyway because Michael Jackson, while he was good, he was just kind of average, right? He had some, some times when he struggled and could be a liability, but he also had times when he was pretty strong. He just struggled to have – he didn't have any ball skills. So um, why would it be strange for the Seattle Seahawks to use one of their top picks and go get another guy to solidify that defense on the back end? Because they've already got a strong secondary with Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and the signing of Julian Love, right? Well, the reason it's unexpected is because the Seattle Seahawks have never drafted – a cornerback higher than third. The highest they've ever drafted a cornerback was uh, Shaquille Griffin in the third round. That's not something they do. Pete Carroll uh, doesn't really feel he needs that elite talent to work with. Uh, and he's a he's a he's a guy who can work with. I mean, he made Tariq Woolen a fifth round pick, Richard Sherman a fifth round pick. Elite guys. I mean, it's still really early for Tariq, but he's looking like he could be the next Richard Sherman. And that has a lot to do with Pete Carroll's coaching ability. So if you're John Snyder, you kind of want to bet on your coach. So do you really want to waste a valuable pick like that when you might might be able to get more bang for your book in later rounds? That's one reason. Another reason is, it's unexpected, is that the Seahawks play a zone a lot. A lot of their coverage is zone coverage. And you can find a zone corner in the third round, in the fourth round, in the fifth round. These guys that typically are in the are in the first round, as you can see, they are actually tend to be better at man coverage and press coverage because that's what more often teams play in the league. So these top corners tend to be great at press at man, and not as good as zone, not as fluid in zone. The zone guys they go later in later rounds, and so yes, this guy is super athletic, super speedy. Um, he's got great change of direction. He can uh, drop. He can drop in coverage pretty well. He got some short short area quickness. He's great uh, or pretty good in press coverage. Uh, very sound tackler. He's got good pursuit angles, as you could tell. But 
you know, he's really not fluid in zone. Zone is not something that it works really well for him. And so, you know, I'm not sure if he's a guy that the Seahawks could really take advantage of. I mean, he is for all of his strengths. The one strength you need him to have is his one weakness. And I just don't know if that's the best fit. Not going to be mad at the pick. If they did go in that direction, we'll be excited to have a Gonzalez and Woolen uh, tandem. But I, I just don't think it's it's the best fit with what the Seahawks want their cornerbacks to do, unless they're going to be changing that and doing more man coverage. That would excite me because we want to see, I think Tariq Woolen would be great in man-to-man coverage. Um, and we'd love to see that exercise a little bit more, honestly. So uh, that's, uh, it would be unexpected again, but you know, I'd be okay with it. So now that we've gotten into the unexpected pick, those are the two things I don't expect to happen. Let's take a moment and just talk about trade downs. Trade downs have been a, a common topic, right, amongst the Seahawks fan base because John Snyder is known for trading down. He does it all the time. Almost every year last year was one of the only exceptions where he did not do a lot of trade downs. People think it was one of the best draft classes in years, and thus people don't want to see trade downs. Here's what I think. When it comes to the fifth pick, I was team trade down. I'll be honest, because I just wasn't happy with the options. I don't feel like AR, Anthony Richardson is a good fit. They like Carter have so many question marks, and those are the two guys that I want. Tariq Wilson, uh, Tyree Wilson is a great prospect, but is he worth the fifth pick? I don't know. Maybe more like the eighth or the ninth. Um, if you could trade down to eighth or ninth, you could trade with the, the Raiders at seven, you could trade with the Falcons at eight. You could do that and still get your Tyree Wilson because you don't feel confident that Jalen Carter is that guy. Then fine, do that, get you an extra pick, third round pick, because that's where the value is. People will say the value isn't worth it. It's worth it. Um, the argument against trading down is you're only going to get a third round pick maybe for trading back two, three spots. The third round is where it's at. The third round is where you're going to get your depth pieces, your quality pieces, and potentially even your, your upside starters. There's some really good players in that second to third round range. Get as many picks there as you can. That's where the value is in this draft, truly. So that's my counter to those who feel like it's not worth it. It is worth it to pick up an extra third round pick. You can get you a good center in the third round. You can get you uh, another edge rusher. You can get you some, some pretty valuable uh, interior defensive linemen. A lot of good opportunities. Even some really good zone corners in the third round. A lot of good options at that point. Good wide receivers in the third. I can go on and on. Really good options that fit what the Seahawks need in the third round. If the fit isn't really there in the first. Like I said, those players that you could trade down for. Oh, well, I'll, keep, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more. So, as I said, the, I don't think that they should trade down. Um, and not anymore, because realistically, this is a once in an opportunity in a lifetime to have a top 10 pick. So if they do trade down, I want them to trade within the top 10. Maybe the Titans at number 11. Maybe. <laughs> Depends on how the board falls. But uh, let's take a look at some of the guys. Like, I, I took some notes on some of the guys that you, if you traded down, here's who would be available and who would be good value at the 10 pick. Jordan Addison, wide receiver, he has potential. I, I like the idea of getting a Jordan Addison. I, I like him more at the 20th pick, and he may not make it to 20th. But top 10, 
it's questionable because of his size. He is a run-after-the-catch guy, and the raw receiver that the Seahawks need to get, in my opinion, is a run-after-catch guy. But he's 10 pounds lighter than even Tyler Lockett. And so I just don't know if that's a good fit. It concerns me about durability. And the Seahawks have had enough trouble with raw receivers who have injury history when it comes to, like, the back end of their depth. Tyler Lockett and DK have been fine. Knock on wood. <laughs> They've been fine. But the Eskridge has been a headache. He's not been able to do anything because he's been so injury riddled. Um, and just other picks just haven't worked out. Um, so we need a guy who can be a little bit more, less question marks in that regard. And then there's Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson is, to me, DK Light. He's big, he's fast, he's physical. We have that on the team. So while I'm not opposed to a Quentin Johnson I just feel like at that pick, you're already paying DK a lot of money. You're already paying Tyler a lot of money. I just don't think that it makes sense to end up with that very first pick. Get a wide receiver when you've already got top-tier guys. You don't need more top-tier guys. You need depth. And I'm not sure the first, the fifth overall pick is a good opportunity to go get depth, right? It's not. It's not good value. So I don't feel like it's there that there. Talk about Christian Gonzalez. My question with Devin Witherspoon is his size. Again, the issue of the zone. Neither of those guys are good at zone or that excel in zone. How does that really help you if you're the Seahawks, a zone-heavy team? It doesn't. Where's the value in getting one of those corners? It's not there. Jackson Smith, uh, Enigma, Najiba. Always mix that up. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> but um, that's a good guy. He's, he's a great prospect. Elite prospect, and I'm not going to be mad if they get Jackson Smith and I'm not going to be upset about that. The thing is, he's a slot wide receiver, that's what he is. I mean, maybe he can be more, he's a slot wide receiver. It goes to value is the number five overall pick is the best thing to do with that to get a slot wide receiver? Mm, probably not. Not only the value there, even if he's great. I mean, yeah, you can get a Cooper Cup type of guy as possible, and he he has the best chance of being that. But I'm not even sure I trust the Seahawks offense to even put him in the best position to really take advantage of that. You still want most of your touches going to DK and Lockett. You just kind of need a guy who can fill in, who can make plays, you know, again, run after catch, who can go horizontal. I'm just not sure that that makes the most sense right there. And outside of that, and outside of those guys, then you're talking about guys who you should be talking more about at 15 to 20, rather top 10. So that's why, you know, really once I kind of did the process of elimination, this draft is just strange. The top end talent isn't there for me in the first round. It's really not. Not the top end talent, not in the first round. So with that being the case, I think the Seahawks are best to stay where they are and either get hope and pray that Arizona's stupid and, and trades down or they can, you know, get Tyree Wilson, get Jalen Carter, whoever they, whichever prospect they feel more comfortable getting. Um, or I think that's best. I mean, yeah, they could trade out of the top ten, but I just think that's a wasted opportunity trading outside of the top ten. I'm not sure. Yes, you'll get a lot of second and third round picks probably, and I do agree with the value in that. But I know the fan base will be so upset. <laughs> you got to be so upset about that, and I would understand. Why going from the number five pick to go to the number 15 pick is completely demotivating. I I agree. 
and I and I and I I'm with you. Um, I would be disappointed too. I would be happy about the value that they're getting, but it's hard to be as excited about those players because the Seahawks really do need a difference maker at the position. That's really what where they're that's what they need to get them over the top to be Super Bowl contenders. They don't need depth. They need one more guy. They need a difference maker on the defensive line. And then everything else, I think, is a matter of depth from there. So get that difference-making guy at the fifth round with the fifth pick, and then use the rest of the draft to fill in those depth, to fill in the holes. And I think it's a really strong roster if they, if they can do that appropriately. So uh, final, final thing I want to talk about here, final person I want to talk about, prospect is somebody who used to be mocked often to the Seahawks, but things seem to have changed as people look at more tape, as some of the combine has taken place, his stock has seemed to fall a little bit. Um, So let's go to uh, Miles Murphy. Miles Murphy is a defensive end. I'm not a fan of him. This is my one unideal pick. Um, I just don't see what I would want to see from him, especially at the number five pick. I'm fine with him at 20. But at five, he just doesn't have enough burst, enough quickness. He's got great size. As you can see, 6'5 to uh, 68, just a little bit under, you know, Tyree Wilson has a little better size, more arm length, a little heavier, a little taller, bigger hands. So Tyree has the more elite size. He's, he's a step below that, clearly. But the production wasn't there. Yeah, less production. He just doesn't. Pop out on tape to me. He had a pretty good uh, year before last, but this last year, looking at his tape, he just seems to blend in a little bit too much for my liking. Uh, yeah, he's got a plus motor. He's got a pretty good spin move. He's got really good hand usage. He is good in that way. He's really sound, impressive hand usage when I'm watching him, but he's not explosive. He, he doesn't change direction. I don't think he's going to test very well, to be honest. He keeps postponing his testing opportunities. He did not do anything at the combine. He did not do anything in his pro day, and I think it may have something to do with injury. But also, can't help but feel like he's ducking the testing a little bit. He's supposed to be doing a um, private workout in April. We'll see how that goes. Maybe that changes my mind. He he struggles to get off blocks. He, he pushes too past, far past the pocket. I feel like for a guy like that, that's more of a fringe first rounder guy to me. You know, with the upside, the size, the traits, but not the production. Yeah, that's a friend first round, great value at second round kind of guy. And so I'm not super high on him. To me, it would be unideal to get him. Um, he's just not who I want to see for the Seahawks at this point. Not at five. Again, they get him later, great. But um, anyway, so it's very interesting draft for the Seahawks. A lot of things they could do with the number five pick. Um I'm big on Tyree Wilson or Jalen Carter. That's my personal preference. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think. What got who who did I miss that you guys like at the number five pick? Um, do you want them to trade down? Do you want them to stay where they are? Uh, give me guys your feedback. What do you predict is going to happen? In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. We're going to make this a series. So this is not our first episode. Our next episode will be with the 20th pick. We have a lot to get into on that episode. Also, be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. You got polls, analysis, your breakdowns of all the information you need to know for your Seahawks. I give you my opinions on news each and every opportunity that comes around. Be sure 
You can uh, download the podcast version of this show. You can find us on iTunes, Stitch, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, guys, that's it. That's all the time I have for today. That's it. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks. <laughs>